Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and of course, James Holland. And uh, well, um, it's the season of, um, what is it? Mellow fruitfulness. It's autumn is, is upon us, isn't it, Jim? It's raining here. It feels in like it. It feels like it. I've still got a test match to go to this week, this week which I'm yeah. going to watch. And I've actually got, a, rather exciting, I've got a, a match where I'm playing for, in, for Ian Bell's team. And for those who are not cricketers, Ian Bell, Ian Bell was, was an amazing England cricketer. Uh, yeah, yeah, 22 test hundreds. Um, um, so I'm playing for his team. And, and since I got naught in my last match <laughs> for Chalk Valley in Dorset mm. League Division 2, yeah. playing with Ian Bell, I, you know, I'm kind of wondering if I should just offer the drinks and you know, put on the high-vis jacket. But... but <laughs> So I've got that, and then 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 it's probably autumn, isn't it? You know, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's poured with rain today, and the yes. weird thing is, is the grass on my lawn has gone from sand to green literally overnight. Overnight. Yeah. I mean, to think only three weeks ago we were all, we were all uh, worrying about impending drought. But um, anyway, um, but so how are but, you? How are you? What, I'm very well. But but it's September, and I think one of the things about um, what we should do. Because what is it? Today is uh, today we're recording this. It's the sort of sixth of September. I think we should talk about one September in particular, which yep. is after all when it all starts, or at least the European off. component of the Second World War yep. starts. Because after all, if it, arguably it's been going on in China for ages. But um, and and I think maybe maybe what would be good to do to sort of because after all, you know, first of September. Germany and Germany invades Poland. Blah blah blah. The the, the 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 sort of that element of it. I think. I mean, we have we talked to Roger Morehouse? Have we done that yet? Did we ever have him on to talk about first? We did talk to Roger. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did talk to Roger, yeah. and he and he was great. But we haven't done an awful lot on Poland in nineteen thirty. You we haven't done anything about really about. We've never really done the start of the war and, and yeah. what and what's. And it's not just September and and the, the terrible events of September nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, it's also. What the heck was going on beforehand? And, it's and, the state and of play. How did people let this happen? And yeah. it's interesting looking at the main protagonists. I mean, who who are the main countries that that, that have got a kind of a real stake in what is going on? Soviet Union, obviously. Yeah. Not well. Germany. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be going on without the Soviet Union's. No. Um, so it's the nod, Soviet Union. Nod. Germany, obviously. Italy, key player in all this. Yeah. Poland, of course. Yeah. Britain, yep. France, and the USA. I mean, those are the key players at this at this point. Yeah, yeah. Frantic diplomacy going on in 1939. Yeah, or even a lack of it. Yeah, you know, and 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 what what's the state for people, and where are they? And I think there is this this sort of temptation to think, particularly with someone like the United States, you think the United States arrives in the war in in December 1941 as this sort of massive industrialized mm. you know bristling with sherman tanks and b17 yeah. flying fortresses and stuff yeah. yeah but in in the summer of 1939 it's a very different picture i mean you know america's had an extraordinary two decades 
Well, and on the first, uh, and on the first of September, nineteen thirty-nine, Roosevelt immediately issues a press conference saying we're going to do everything within our power to stay out of this war. That's the, that's the every effort will be made by his administration to stay out of the war. So, yes. so if if if, we, if this is the you know the start of things. You know the, the 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 people the people who become incredibly important main players. I mean, because it's it's American industry, arguably that turns it for everybody. They're not. Yeah. They're saying they're not interesting, and they've got lots of good reasons to not be interested. Or, or, or there are lots of political forces that Roosevelt he knows he can't take on. Or if he's going to have to, he's going to, have to take them on piecemeal, bit by bit, and, and whittle them down. And and even even. I mean, in, in 1940, you, I think it's 96.4% of the American population in a poll says not interested in joining us, joining this war. So, yes, I mean, that's before that. that yes, that, that's even after World War One. But that's, yeah, yeah, I know, which is a, which is amazing. So, 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 you know, um, at this stage, really, it's about it is about it's about the Soviet Union. It's about um Allied Western allied France and Britain's failure to engage with the Soviet Union up to this point. They're, they're, and it's not just failure, it's their open reluctance to do it, their, their, their plain unwillingness, I think you could even describe it as. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. The Germans and the Soviets have actually been fostering quite a close relationship trade wise before the Nazis. And although, although the Nazis come in and say how much they hate Bolshevism and they hate communism and they hate the Soviet Union. They're still training, training in Russia, and they're still exercising, and they're buying Russian or Soviet grain, and they're buying steel, and the, you know all the all the stuff they're going Ukrainian to need. Grain, yeah, yeah, you, 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 exactly. Ukrainian grain. I mean, it's it it you know it very much the Second World War, the start of the Second World War, is about the Soviet Union, isn't it? I think that's fair to say, right? It, it is, but I, just 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 hold on the USA for a little bit because the USA, <laughs> in in a way, is. I do think it's really interesting to see that that their path to war and the part they're playing yeah. in it in the summer of 1939, which is a bigger part than one might think for their isolationism mm. and for that that 95% that don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, and and and, and FDR's statement because FDR is absolutely convinced in the summer of 1939 that war is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. That he's also absolutely convinced that the old isolationism view is not going to work anymore. And that yep. the Atlantic is no longer the barrier that it once was. Yeah. You know, 1927, you know, Charles Lindbergh flies solo across the Atlantic. Well, and Lind- Lindbergh's what, and Lindbergh is one of his political problems. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, ironically, that the, the man who demonstrates that the Atlantic isn't what it was is actually the, the person who wants to, you know, not cross the Atlantic and stay out of the moment. And in fact, he's, he's preparing for, a, he thinks we shouldn't get involved in a white on white war, is what Lindbergh's saying. That's his rhetoric, and that yeah. a, a war against the Asiatic hordes is more likely, and uh, and America's destiny, which is which yeah, is yeah, of- uh, absolutely. But just to just to go back with the US, <laughs> so so every, everything goes. You know, I think you can't avoid the Paris peace talks. You can't no, nope. you you can't avoid the the, the Treaty of Versailles of nineteen nineteen. Yeah, and Woodrow Wilson, who is the Democratic. Democrat um, president at the time plays a really big part of that, and he comes up with his fourteen points. Yeah, most of which were are adopted, um, and one of the fourteen points is that um, the Republic of Poland, the, the Second Republic, should emerge. Yeah, and Poland hasn't been Poland since the Third Partition. Yeah, yeah. in seventeen ninety five. So it's like one hundred and twenty five years in nineteen nineteen that 
that it hasn't been Poland. And so it becomes Poland and it's a democracy and all the rest of it. When, when Wilson goes back to the United States and one of the persons on the ship with him returning back is the Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin yep. Delano Roosevelt, yep. who has lots lots of conversations with Wilson on yep. the way back to America. He puts his proposal to launch for, for, for kind of permanent peace in the world and certainly in the first world. And this is, this is the League of Nations. This mm. is Wilson's great idea at the, at the Paris Peace Talks. And it gets, it gets rejected yes. by, by the Senate and uh, by the House. And, and, it's, and so that's that. And it's absolutely no surprise when Wilson then gets kicked out the following election, 2021, 2020, 1920 rather. Um, Warren Harding, isn't it, who comes in mm-hmm. as, as a Republican, comes in um, uh, after him. And the Republican view is completely different. It is, you know, no more free trade, no more getting caught up in European affairs, really. Reduce the military. They've got four million people they've got to kind of demobilize. Yeah. You know, the, there is this sense that they, they went off to war in 1917 full of idealism and it got they got absolutely sort of, you know, got slapped back in their face. Not enough banks, too many losses, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Too many fat cats getting rich well, on war. Exactly. So, so, I mean, which is interesting because there's a, there's, there's a tinge to it, which is similar to the feelings in Germany that, you know, people have got rich on, on our suffering. What were we in yeah, this war? Blood. What were we in this? Yeah. What, what were we in this war for anyway? And, you know, the, the fact that America teeters on quite a lot of conspiracist, um, uh, they're worried, they're very worried about communism in the 20s. It's, it's you know, yes. people think yep. of uh, American anti-communism as a 1950s phenomenon, but certainly in, in, in the 20s, they're absolutely terrified of it. And you look at the bonus marches um, uh, in, in not, you know, which, which are the Hoover, the next administration along, the Hoover administration, has a problem with what to pay veterans. And obviously the, cr- the, the crash has happened. And they, the, the federal government's low on money, so they offer they offer a veterans a bonus that's redeemable in 1945, which is kind of like, yes, that's insane, isn't it? It's crazy, right? And so they camp in Washington. Yeah. Um, and you have so you so I mean this is an, I think this is an interesting part of what then the Americans have to do when the Second World War comes is they have to rebuild their relationship with the idea of of a federal army and the idea of how a citizen soldier fits in. Because, Absolutely, they because do. And this is the, one of the big nerve, nervousness about, exactly. about FDR in, exactly. in the summer but of 1940. But to deal with the bonus marches, MacArthur sends cavalry and tanks into the march and forces them out of bayonet point, right? Forces out the forces out the veterans. And so you've got this, you've got this very peculiar um, in the US, as well as isolationism, as well as um, proto-fascism, as well as fear of communism, as well as the jazz age, because as at well the same as, time, exactly, you're, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're reducing, you're, you're, you're putting up um, import tariffs massively. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're luring, you know, the Republicans um, lure taxation, encourage yeah. consumer spending. Yeah. And suddenly this young modern nation, despite on the surface, it's all the jazz age and Model yeah. T's and Model you know, Model A's and, and all this kind of stuff and Chrysler's and Chevrolet's and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and fridges yeah. and Hollywood kind of bursting on this, this you know, and they're rejecting the old, old you know, the old country yeah. of Europe and the old world. And why, why wouldn't they? Because yeah. they moved across the Atlantic in the first place to avoid all that, you know. So, so there is all that coming into it as well. Yeah. But the Americans are not completely getting out of international affairs. 
because what happens in Germany, of course, is you have the collapse of the Reichsmark and you have, you know, wheelbarrows of, of money and hyperinflation yeah. and all this sort of stuff. So the, they set up the Doors Committee to go and help Germany, which is amazing when you think about isolationism and when you think about the side that they were on in the First World War and all the rest well, of it. Well, they're, 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 well and, but they're also, they're also building railroads, in, uh, 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 you know, uh, factories rather for the Soviet Union. They they might they're militarily I- isolated into military isolationism, but they're not into economic isolationism. And and exactly. After, and after all, America is an empire. It does have an imperium. The Philippines the Philippines yep. is part of the American imperium, even though of course it definitely isn't, and it's definitely not a colony all the, and, and all that stuff. But, but yes, it, so the Amer- the Americans are they're very keen on their money doing the doing the the, the sort of lifting and what we what we'd i suppose called soft power they're just not prepared to do exactly. the hard the hard power part i mean it but, is, but, but it, the role of the doors committee is really really interesting yeah because this this is this is this is charles doors who's a chicago banker and it's owen young who is the chair of general electric mm. and they set the rights the value of the rights mark on the value of gold at the pre-war level against the dollar, which is a massive boost to Germany. And at the same time, JP Morgan, the bankers JP Morgan, loaned Germany a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So the big thing is, well, okay, well, how are they going to pay for this? So this is the really interesting thing. So they pay for it because America calls in the war loans that it's lent to Britain and France. Britain and France pay that debt. The USA then pays that debt back to Germany. Yeah. And this is why in the second half of the 1920s, Germany's actually doing okay. Weimar is sort of all right. It's, 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 it's emerging as a, a, once again, as a, as a industrialized manufacturing country, which it is so well placed to kind of perform. But everything goes tits up, of course, in 19, in October 1929 with the Wall Street cash. Because, you know, the gold standard goes down the pot. Um, yeah. global recession, all the rest of it. America can no longer give that money to Germany. And out of that emerge the Nazis. But the pressures on gold, if you've, pe- if you've pegged the, um, your exchange rate to old gold, um, uh, yeah. are unsustainable. So, so these things are all, these things don't, they don't just happen. They're all, they're all, um, all they're all. No, but my point is, my point is, is America's part in Germany's position in 1939 is actually much more considerable than than I suspect a lot of people are aware. Yes. And, 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 you know, there's no question that the Nazis emerged because of the Treaty of Versailles and the end of the humiliation of the First World War and all the rest of it. But they're an irrelevance until 1929. It's only after the Great, after the Depression, the Wall Street crash, that the Nazis start to become a, a serious political player. Which, which is interesting because it's sort of the third body blow to Germany, isn't it? You, you've, you've, you, it's the, the, the loss of the First World War and the, and the sort of revolutionary stuff that happens around that, then hyperinflation, then the, then the Wall Street crash in 29. It's as if, it's as if it takes three things to, to, to pitch Germany into, into the hands of the Nazis, isn't it? Rather than, Rather than one event, this is sort of a, it's a sort of a, it's a sort of accumulator, and because everyone everyone's fates are tied together, they are enmeshed. How many M two light tanks did America produce in nineteen thirty nine, Jim? Any idea? It's it, it, it's double digit, is it? It's eighteen. <laughs> eighteen. Okay, I was going to say like seventy, 
But yeah, okay, that's Eight, eighteen. Eighteen. I mean, it's just nothing. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you standing think army of, in September nineteen thirty nine of one hundred eighty seven thousand. Yes, yeah, something something like that, isn't it? Yeah, which is and, obviously huge by British standards in twenty twenty two, but it's tiny by nineteen thirty nine standards. Well, yeah, and gets to gets to what um, uh, four million. Well, well, no. So I think, um, well, yeah. It, but but more millions go through it um, in 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 the process. I mean, it's it, right. it, the uh, the British Army never gets bigger than three. I think at its biggest. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 quite it's quite extraordinary. They go from eighteen in nineteen thirty nine of the, of the M two light tank, and then they're producing they produce ninety thousand tanks by the end of the Second World War. It's just incredible. But it's that also incredible. And as I said, said before, 83,000 aircraft manufactured in 1943 alone. Yeah. I mean, just think what that looks like. It's, it's just uh, unbelievable. But, but there's a huge problem that, that Roosevelt's got. because so, so he's thinking, yikes, war's coming. The Atlantic is no longer the big barrier. We don't want to get involved in a war, but we'd quite like to, to help other people fight it so that we don't have to, mm. particularly Britain and France. So how are we going to help them? And which which option of the three of the three combatants in front of us is best for business? He's he, there's no doubt that there's some there's some cold calculation as to who you know who's going to win is his first thought, and he's 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 going to bet on the allies winning, isn't he? So their business is best, isn't it? I mean, this this is a bit, I still think there is I think there is some cold calculations, but I also think think that he 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 you know he's a democrat. He's not you know he can see that the Nazis are are not good news and mm. you don't want to encourage them at all. Mm. And that, that, you know, it's one thing taking Czechoslovakia. It's another thing taking Poland. There's another, quite another yeah. thing kind of, you know, stretching your empire across the Atlantic into say South America or something yeah. like that. You know, that's not funny at all. Yeah. But he's got this huge problem on his hands because during the years of isolationism and he takes over, um, you know, he gets elected in 1932, becomes president in 1933. Um, Two bits of, of of two acts have been passed, which yeah. make rearming incredibly difficult. Yeah, and one of them is the Vincent Trammell Acts, which I think go in in nineteen thirty, get passed in nineteen thirty four or something like that. Mm. And this makes it incredibly hard for big business to invest in armaments, because basically you have to do the tendering yourself. You have to pay for any prototypes. You don't get repaid for sixteen years. So there is a complete lack of lack of incentive for anyone to invest in anything. There is um, the explosive um, industry has been completely ground down. So all sorts of companies that used to you know make TNT and all this kind of stuff they're no longer making it. It just doesn't it doesn't exist at all in the US. Apart on a very 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 small level, it's purely for mining and mining only, and most of it is imported. Um, and the second thing is the Neutrality Acts, which were brought in in 1937, which basically made it illegal to trade any kind of arm, arms at all outside of the US. So in the summer of 1939, he's trying to dismantle this, but well, he's trying to dismantle it bit by bit. So he's done this amendment whereby people can use cash and carry. And this obviously is designed to help Britain and France, because yeah. Germany has no capacity to do cash and carry because it's not really shipping. And hasn't got any cash in Germany in in the US either, but Britain's got lots and lots of cash, and so with France, and it's got the means of doing it. And this finally gets passed on the 11th of July, 1939. This amendment to the Neutrality Act. And who is appointed Chief of Staff on the 1st of September, 1939? George Marshall. Yeah, which is really interesting. And Marshall 1st says of to September. Him, 
Exactly. 1st of September, 1939. Marshall says to him, I'm not going to laugh at any of your jokes and you're going yeah. to have to call me general. You, you yeah. can't, you're not calling me George. And, and that they then hatch sorting out rebuilding the army or expanding the army from that date, even yes, though... Yes, because he says, Mr. President, you have to understand we're in dire straits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the day they that's the day they decide to that they begin expanding the army under the nose of the of the Secretary of War, who who, who doesn't want it to happen, um, yep. which, which I think. So they get yeah. there and get sacked off in May 1940. Yeah, new Secretary of State for War. Yeah, and um, um, Stimson comes in. Yes, something legend. That's when things start to shift. But that's when they- starts to shift, and also they do dis- they, they 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 have a second dismantling of the neutrality acts in the, in the autumn of nineteen thirty nine. Then they have the dismantling of the Vincent Trammell acts in I think is it is it um, maybe May nineteen forty. But mm. but my point is 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 outwardly, FDR is saying on the first of September this is not a fight, it's nothing to do with us, we don't care, you know whatever. Yeah. yeah. But privately, he's going. Yikes! We need to act, and we need to act really fast. And I need to—I need to dismantle this isolationist era uh, um, uh, um, stuff. The stuff, the acts that were put in place, yeah. um, and dismantle them quickly. But it's a staging process. It's—it's it's about, it's about chipping away at that isolationism. It's about about subtly changing the narrative in in the US. And although there is, by May 1940, there is, as you point out, there's 95% of people go, we don't want anything to do with it. I think it's also 95% of people are, are in favour of rearming. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And then, and then you have, and then you have two years of push me, pull you with the army expanding and it, and it, and all sorts of scandal and, and uh, pushback from various people. There's, there's, there's a, there's a satirical thing because it called of future veterans who right. um, are a pressure group, and their thing is saying their thing is basically saying veterans are going to get treated like shit again. We need to make sure that doesn't happen, and they're a very powerful isolationist voice in 1940 and 41, which is fascinating. Anyway, we need to take a very very quick break. Um, we will be back in a second um, with more what's going on in September of 1939. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) 
Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with uh, me, Al Murray, and James Holland. And in the first half, we were looking at where's it, what, what on earth is America doing um, in September 1939? Where has America wound up in uh, September 1939? Well, yeah, why it's significant in Germany's story and why it's significant is it's got us. Why what is happening in America in the summer of 1939 is significant for what is happening in Europe in 1939. But if I'm brutally honest, I probably got a little bit carried away with that because suddenly half the podcast gone and we haven't talked about Italy or France or well, yeah, but much. Or, the, 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 you know, this happens, must, doesn't it? I mean, the British, does. the British have been the British during this during the interwar year interwar period. They've basically they've been saying to themselves, whatever we do, we've got to keep the Americans on side. We need to keep the Americans on side, whatever happens. But 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 knowing the end that the the, the American the American relationship with the UK with with the British Empire is. Is pretty ambivalent, and which then plays despite their then, own imperialism. Ex- despite their own imperialism, and that then plays itself out um, uh, during the war. Is the American political attitudes to uh, the empire and and uh, you know save the empire at any cost, SEAC and all that sort of all that yep. sort of stuff that plays out later on in the war is sort of part of why the British haven't been able to draw the Americans properly into their orbit. Um, uh, in the run-up, you know, in the diplomatic manoeuvrings that take you to the second, that take us to the start of the Second World War, haven't they? They've 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 just not they've not had any traction, and you get a big burst of of um, of propagandizing immediately as soon as the war starts in in America from British sources, like trying. This to is get, William Stevenson, isn't it? And and so on, trying to get the trying to get the Americans to turn around and uh, yeah. Change their view politically. Um, and frankly, it's pretty successful. I mean, France, though. I mean, we need to talk about France because yeah, we do. We don't talk about France very much, um, and the, poli- the I mean, interwar politics in France is very interesting. But the big, the big player is Deladier. By this point, it's it's Deladier who is who is who is trying to shake things down politically in France in 38, 39. He's trying to he's trying to get France to stop essentially. You know, it's had this endless cascade of different governments, of popular fronts, of Pujardism, and all this sort of stuff going on in it in the mix. And Pujard, Pujardism is a sort of sort of small beer nationalism that that, that right wing it right wing thing that's that's present in the French body politic. And he's been trying he's been trying to get things sorted. He knows the Germans are rearming. The Deuxième Bureau have told him, but but he doesn't know what their intentions are. And you know, so he's in the he's kind of in the same position as the uh, as the british in far of what if, if in terms of what he knows but he's been rearming he's been spending and i think it's really interesting that france 
France in the it's France in the end in September '39 who basically say, no, we have to honour this commitment, and the and it's the British government who do the tiny. Chamberlain does a tiny wobble right at the end, even though he knows he's lost the Tory party if he if he doesn't declare war. And there's this very interesting, you know, because f- France are buying arms from the Americans too. This is the other thing to remember is the Americans. Yes, the French, they are. French are placing enormous orders with 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 the Americans and are as much Curtis part of, Hawks and exactly and as much part of the as much part of the issue to Roosevelt as the British are when it comes to getting around the neutrality act and all that sort of stuff. That France are. France are clearly a big part of um, Roosevelt's thinking too. They're lovely. They're lo- getting his hand on their lovely money too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, it's interesting is that, you know, because you know, on the one hand, you've got the, the the fear of the westward spread of Nazism, and on the other hand, you've mm. also got the fear of the westward spread of communism. And, and yeah. you know, the Communist Party is quite alive. It's much more so uh, in France than it is in in Britain, and that plays into it. I mean, so so. Yeah. Britain's kind of Britain and France are now allies, formal yep. allies. They've signed an yep. alliance and uh, in the spring of 1939, and they've also agreed to open negotiations with the USSR, which they've started yep. in in April 1939. Yeah, and there's there's not much heart in it. I think it's fair yep. to say that they, yep. they know that this is a this is a key way in which to blunt. German ambition, and yes. yet there's a large part of it that that but they're just as bad, yeah. and 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 there's something completely distasteful about it. From a British point of view, it's not. There's there's also the fact that the Russians murdered their own royal family, and we still yeah. have a monarchy and all this kind of stuff. And the monarchy of the Russians were part of the, you know, related to the British monarchy. So there's that going on, which yeah. which sound, might sound absurd today, but is uh, is a factor in 1939. Yeah. There's also this, you know, they know about the purges. They don't know about the details of the purges, but, yeah. you know, Marshal Tukhachevsky, for example, visited Britain in 1936. Everyone yeah. thought he was the best thing out. They thought he was really great. A man they could talk to in the next thing, they know he's been executed, yeah. along with three out of five, four marshals. Yeah, you know, thirteen out of fifteen army commanders, fifty out of fifty-seven corps commanders, you know, one hundred and fifty out of one hundred and eighty-four divisional commanders, all being purged. Now, the British and the French don't know the details of that, but they know the purges have been going on. You know, so so they're just deeply unpleasant people. And, and one of the key people in those purges is Molotov, who is now the foreign minister, who they're expected to deal with, and the whole thing just feels completely distasteful. Mm. And then suddenly, at the very end of of, uh, at the end of July 1939, the Russians, having been going back and forth, back and forth on these political negotiations and not really getting very far, the USSR suddenly go, actually, can you send a military delegation over? Well, so let's sort out the military side of things first, then we can do the, the political things. And everyone yeah. sort of goes, we can't not go, Yeah. but no one's got much heart in it. And so yeah. the French and the British agree to send this military delegation together and so they set off from Tilbury Dock. So the French come over to Britain on the boat train, arrive in London, I think on something like the 4th of August, 1939. And they, you know, and they, they set off on, on the SS Exeter, which is um, one of those kind of troop ships that normally yeah. does the South Africa line. And it's slightly faded glory. It's got lots of sort of turbaned Indian crew. And they end up having their negotiations, their own discussions about how they're going to play it when they get to Leningrad. Mm. 
in the playroom of the ship, the former yeah. ship, which has been leased by the Royal Navy specifically for this. And it's all a bit kind of faded glory. Yeah. And the two men that are heading it is a French admiral. They're both admirals. Um, no, it's a general. It's Aimé Dumenc, yeah. who is the youngest general in the French army, but is 60. <laughs> and then there's the amazing admiral, the honourable Sir Reginald Elmer Ranfurly Plunkett Early Early yeah. Drax. And they're all a bit kind of C-list, uh, which sort of, you know, of course, you know, the Russians know this and they know that it's... it's The French attitude to, to Poland is very complicated anyway, isn't it? Because they're, they're very frustrated with the Poles that the Poles won't let won't grant access to the Red Army. They're angry with the Poles. Yes, this is one of the this is one of the big things that the Red Army yeah. wants is it transit, wants transit it, right. if it needs to to be able to to, to, to have clear passage across Poland for, yeah. for the Red Army. Yeah. And the Poles are going, absolutely no way, Jose. Yeah, I mean completely we know what this is. Yeah, yeah. Totally about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the French are kind of frustrated by this. Yeah. The British are as well. The British are not really interested in these negotiations at all, but sort of go into it. Um, there's a very, very interesting account by a chap called Andre Beaufre, who mm. is a staff officer. He's 37 in 1939. He's yeah. been too young for the First World War, but he's but he's been wounded in Algiers or something. Yeah. So during some sort of colonial kind of um, um, spark, and is and he ends up at he, he was um, he ends up at the Chateau de Vincennes at the general staff. It's a staff officer. He's a very competent, capable, intelligent guy, and. He is, and he keeps his diary, and he's very worried about. It's really interesting when you read it, which because it, it has been translated in English, that he is worried about the state of the of the French army. And there's been the Bastille Day parade on the 14th yeah. of July, and it's all been tanks and you know, the historical nod with the cuirassiers and their breastplates, and you know, it's been this huge, great military pageant. I mean, it really, you know, think think kind of sort of Moscow in 1982. Mm. It's mm. kind of you know, it's that kind of look without the without the missiles and nuclear yeah. warheads, but it's that kind of thing. So on the one hand, it's all very militaristic and kind of, you know, banners waving and trumpets. But he also thinks there's a kind of sort of horrible complacency. Yeah. He thinks the whole thing is that, you know, the, the generals are too defence-minded and yeah. too cautious and, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. And, of course, he's going to be proved right. So so th- th- those negotiations are not really coming to anything. So so well, if, if those... They- those and they're complicated by the fact that Beck, Beck behaves badly generally, doesn't he? Um, yes, uh, the Polish foreign minister is not is is difficult to deal with. Um, is suspicious he's going to get sold out. I mean, one of the one of the I think what's one of the one of the interesting things is that Poland, the Polish, we, as we said earlier, you know, Poland's only been essentially been around for five minutes geopolitically, um, to the re- massive resentment of the German state and the Germans and the Austrians and the Austrians and the Russians and the Slovaks. And because after all, you know, the, Slo- the Slovak Republic, the, the, the rump of Czechoslovakia, that that, that end, um, that, that hasn't been subsumed by um, uh, Germany, in, in, uh, invades Poland in 1939 itself and seizes bits of Poland for itself because no one wants there to be a Poland except for the Poles. And, you, you, you know, the, the French... The French in, an e- in the peace front with Britain would rather have the Soviet Union than the Poles out of sheer sort of political muscle and and but end up with the Poles because the British insist upon it. Deladier doesn't like the guarantee, isn't happy about the guarantee, doesn't like Beck, but also believes as a Frenchman that France must honour its um, uh, 
commitment. So, the French. Yeah, so there's also the other thing is, is, is about Poland that's really interesting is it starts off as this democracy. There's a military coup in 1926, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And although that doesn't come to a huge amount, thereafter is an erosion of democracy. So, yeah, by 1935, slide, yeah. it, it's effectively, to all intents and purposes, it's a dictatorship. Yeah. Now that's not necessarily, you know, that's that's their choice, you know, that's Paul's choice, and and that doesn't, that shouldn't affect their sovereignty. But the but the the big bugbear for the Germans is this seventy mile stretch of Baltic coastline, which is Polish, which until nineteen nineteen was German, and you've still got this this thing, which I think a lot of people just don't realise or don't get their heads around, that East Prussia is separated by the Danzig Corridor, this stretch of the Baltic coast. And, and it's I'm not saying it's, they're right to want it back, but I'm saying it's completely understandable that they would want it back. Well, and we have the re- we have the reverse now with Kaliningrad, don't we? Königsberg. That that, that you have you have the, you know, like a carb like a a, a yeah. mirror image situation yeah. with with the a Russian Russian, si- Russian city inside inside Poland. I mean it's uh it's it, Yes, it, and it's all a bit bonkers. And, yeah. and there are a lot of Germans up there. You know, there are yeah. a lot of German speakers and, and pro-Germans and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's quite clear that France and, and Britain don't give two figs about Polish sovereignty. They can care less. What they do care about is Nazi Germany spreading its wings and, you know, chipping another, well, yet another one off. Well, becoming richer and more powerful as well. Is the, is yes, the, exactly. Is, is the fear, isn't it? I mean, it is... That 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 sort of I mean that that patch of diplomacy where where Britain Britain is Britain and France are grasping the sort of Soviet net, nettle too late. Yeah. I mean that that that's one of the big what ifs, isn't it? Uh, 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 what if what if the British and the French had got their act together and they'd have uh, and they'd have managed to bring the Soviet Union in um, to some sort of uh, alliance? You know, and you've got Stalin saying he doesn't want to pull their ally. The, 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 British and the French chestnuts out of the fire, doesn't he? It, it always strikes me that that's just—it's impossible. The Soviets are only ever going to make the decision yep. they do. That there's, there's, there is no way of of bringing them into a into a peace front. There's just no way of doing it. But the minute the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact happens, that's it. You're going to have your Second World War. That's the the chocks. But, but you know, there the, are the, yeah. The, the chocks are away, and the thing's going to the thing's going to can only accelerate from there. Uh, and, that, and, that, and that reaches the world on the I think on the it's, it's signed on the twenty second, isn't it, and announced yeah. on the on the twenty third. Yeah. And there is this, uh, but but before that, Goering, who is by far and away the second most powerful person in Nazi Germany by yeah. by a huge margin, yeah. largely because he, yeah. he is the guy who's been running the economy, has been overseeing rearmament. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's richest man in 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 Germany. Hermann Goering works has harnessed industry. He's the one who's been doing all these bilateral deals with Finland, Sweden, yeah. Turkey, Spain, Romania, yeah. and has has managed to get all those um, stockpiled all those key um, minerals that are needed from oil to iron ore to tungsten, all the rest of it. He's been, he has overseen all that. Yeah, and he knows that Germany is not strong enough for a long war, and and so has been desperately trying to avoid it. And he's got a Swedish businessman mate called um, called Burgess Dalarus. Yeah. And, and Dalarus says, "Look, I, I know British businessman. I can I can get a I can get us a meeting." So on the seventh of August, nineteen thirty nine, there is a there is a big lunch at a farmhouse on the 
coast of Schleswig-Holstein, which by this time is, is no longer in Germany, but it's in Denmark yeah. again. Yeah. And they have this meeting, and, and the businessmen are favorably impressed by Goering. And, and at, the, at the toast at the lunch, he raises a glass and goes, to peace. And they're kind of, you know, because Goering is so charming when he wants to turn it on, um, they're quite seduced by this. And they go, okay, well, we can get you, we can get you um, a meeting with, with Chamberlain. And so mm. Dolores puts out this feeler and says, you know, puts, feeds a letter from Goering directly to, to, to Chamberlain saying, you know, anytime you want to talk, I'll come over to London, you come over here, whatever you want to do. Chamberlain ignores it. Yeah. Never happens. He's not going to deal with another Nazi. He's, he's yes. had that. He's, By this point, he's done. He's, he's learned his lesson. He's done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you have this, this extraordinary event where, Hitler is at the Berghof, you know, his house down in Berkestad in the, in, the, in the Bavarian Alps. Yeah. And he orders all his senior commanders together to, and, and to arrive in suits. You know, got to make sure that no, you know, that we don't let the cat out of the pan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. And he, and he makes this announcement, says we're about to do this deal. You know, it's yeah. going to, you know, we're going to go to war on whatever it is, the 26th of August. Yeah. Uh, and and then, then the following day it comes out. And then there is this extraordinary moment where there is the kind of aurora borealis over the over the Untersberg Mountains, which is what you can what you're directly looking at from mm. from that extraordinary patio outside his house. Yeah, and it turns as it's in the evening of the twenty third of August, and, and and the sky goes red, and then then the, the the silvery rock of the Untersberg Mountains, then this red shadow sweeps over it. And someone goes, gosh, it looks like a whole load of blood. Yeah. And I can't remember who it, who it is, whether it's Speer or, or one of his aides turns to him and says, you know, we're not going to get away with it this time without <laughs> blood being spilt. And, and Hitler kind of grinds his jaw and says, well, so be it, and then turns on his heels and yeah. goes back into the house. And it's just, yeah. I mean, you literally couldn't make it up, but it, but it happened. Yeah. And, and then there's some last-minute shenanigans and, and, and dealing urging by the Italians who are equally just bricking it. This isn't what they, they bargained for with a pact of steel, you know, signed back in May. This is about, this is not about going to war. Italy can't afford to go to war. You yep. know, it's absolutely stuffed. It's the last thing it wants to do. But by the pact of steel, it's obliged to come in on Italy, on Germany's side. And it's just thinking, holy moly. So it's actually Count Charno, who is the foreign minister of foreign affairs, who's urging urging the germans not to do it and so they go okay fine we'll do this last minute negotiations with them yeah you know which which obviously will come to nothing uh, and and the deadline passes for the poles to come and have a to come and negotiate which of course they're not going to do that deadline passes on the 31st of august and, and there you are it's war and you've all got the kind of you know the glide bits radio attack and all the rest of it it is fascinating though that when you look at what deladier's been saying about the british that the british and the french do come together in in september 39 to oppose the Germans. Deladier De considers Chamberlain a desiccated stick, the king a moron, the queen an excessively ambitious woman. He felt that England had become so feeble and senile that the British would give away every possession of their friends rather than stand up to Germany and Italy. I mean, that's what Richard Overy says about Deladier. That's absolutely fascinating because that's what he thinks of the British, but he still gets them to make a firm commitment. To an agreement, he doesn't believe in himself because he doesn't believe in propping up Poland. He doesn't think Poland should be no. defended. And the French have been doing all this stuff to try and get the British to stick to them. So you've got the Dutch war scare, you yeah. know, in, in which the Deuxième Bureau cook up 
where they feed misinformation to MI6 that the, the Germans are about to invade the Netherlands um, to use Dutch airfields to attack London. And the, the British believe it. And you, you, you know, and it solidifies the continental commitment in, in February. The French are trying to pull British strings to make sure the British stick to their commitments because they're so embarrassed by Munich. I mean, it's, it, I mean, we don't, you know, I often think, and we don't, we don't really talk about the French very much because um, sort of the French check out in 1940, I think, um, unfortunately, so, uh, as a major player. But the stuff the French are doing in between the, in the run up, their, di- their diplomacy is easily important as British appeasement, which is the thing that gets raked over over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to do what they can to keep a lid on stuff. And, you know, I think Deladier is is a sort of quietly a hero of the story because he does get the British to their sticking point. You know, he makes them he makes them come through in September thirty nine, which I think, given given how all over the place Chamberlain has been, I think that's quite an achievement. And I know he's I know Chamberlain's under party political pressure from the Conservative Party to 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 finally he started losing them in March of thirty nine, but that the French are part of how he ends up committing to war. I think is. It's really important. And again, you know, that their mistakes then, their mistakes in 1940, the, the, the situation they found themselves in with a, you know, with a very old command and a, and a static defence and all that sort of stuff, that then, that then are on the receiving end of incredible bad luck in May of 1940. Because you just, you know, you, it, I mean, it's Philip's place. No, Brian, isn't it? He says that the, the May 1940 is the only bit of the war that's in the balance. And if things had gone differently, we'd be going on about how brilliantly the French did. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, preventing- I mean, the interesting thing about the interesting also thing about about, about the alliance is, is that the politically, you know, they're chalk and cheese. Yeah. But 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 all the senior military commanders get on really well. Yeah. They, they really like each other. I mean, this is yeah. amazing amazing bit when when is it in? I think it's like it's either July or it, or it's or it's maybe it's it's a bit later. In, but 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 Edward yeah. Spears, you know, who is yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this great Francophile, you know, who, who's British, born, British parents, but born and brought up in Paris, you know, speaks like a native and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's been a, a liaison officer to the French Tenth Army in, in the First World War, and then ends up being on the French general staff as a liaison office officer. Mm. So he knows all these guys, and yeah. he's a he's a lifelong pal with with um, with Winston Churchill. And yeah. they go over over to Paris in, I think I'm pretty sure it's July, maybe it's early August, early August, early August 1939, and have lunch with General Georges, you know, who's the deputy commander in chief under Gamma. Yeah. And they'll have a lovely, they have a delicious wines and lovely strawberries and cream and lemon posset and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they will get on absolutely famously. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, that, that, that continues. The, the, the problems are, are, are political ones. Because it's like this trust trying to get on with, with, with Macron, isn't it? You know, <laughs> sometimes political necessity, but you'd rather not. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's fascinating, but, 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 but there is a sort of, you're right, this is a sort of building inevitability about it. You know, you know it's absolutely clear. I mean, you know, Chano's diaries, I mean, uh, Galeazzo Chano, who is the, 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 the yeah. uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs in Italy, he keeps his extraordinary diaries, incredibly frank, incredibly open. And, you know, he says, says you know, I, I got there and I pleaded with Hitler, you know, why we shouldn't go to war and what an awful thing it would be and how terrible it'd be for, 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 um, for, for Italy. And Hitler just, he said, I could see that Hitler was just glazing over. He's just not interested. Wasn't listening at all. 
yeah. his attention had gone elsewhere. It was literally sort of la la la. I'm not listening. Uh, and you know, it's just fascinating. You know, and, and everyone says, you know, Hitler had made up his mind he was going to go to war, uh, and you, you know, you, he, he's he's already made his mind up. And so from that point of view, it it, it doesn't matter what deals you do. It's going to happen. Even if he hadn't done a deal with the Soviets, he'd have still gone to war. Yeah, yeah, but 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 it's the it's it's the Soviets not being involved that seals it. That, that gives that him the political. That, yeah, that then means that then means actually he can go into France because he's not got to worry about his he's not got right. to worry about his eastern border. And had the Soviets stayed out and he'd gone into Poland, he'd have he'd have then been possibly exposed. His his his. His um, eastern flank would have been exposed to possible Soviet intervention, and we know that you know we know we know from Stalin going into Finland that 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 Stalin fancies carving up his sphere of influence and taking control of it directly. So hmm. so it's so he's you know he's only able to attack France the way as full bloodedly as he does because he doesn't because have to worry, of, the, of the Molotov because he doesn't have to worry about his eastern border. You know, and, the, and there's the there's the sort of tedious irony of this um you know of the of the french offensive you know in, in september into october of 39 yeah. where the germans aren't present you know they're too busy in they're too busy in poland but even then they can't the germans can't take the french bait in the summer offensive because because uh, 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 uh yeah because they're not present and yeah. it's a very that's a very peculiar moment that although expecting the French and the British to do anything offensive at that stage of the war is to is to completely misunderstand how they've geared themselves up for this war and what their thinking is and, and all that it's just never it's just never going to happen. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a war anyway on Poland because he's because he's got that he's got his you know ethno nationalist impetus behind his foreign policy up to that point. Um, and wants Danzig and wants the Danzig corridor and wants to link back up with Eastern Prussia and all that sort of stuff. And and that's still you can still arguably sell that as as tidying up uh, writing Versailles, can't you? You can still yeah. arguably present yeah. that as such. Um, but but it's it's bringing the Soviets in, and it is an alliance after all because the Soviets. It's not like the Soviets don't invade half of Poland and conquer it themselves, you know. That's, well, seventeenth September, yeah, yeah, exactly, in, in, exactly, exactly what they do. Anyway, um, well, I think we've we've, we've we chewed the, chew the fat on that one. Chewed the fat, bounced about um, the scene setting for the for the Second World War in Europe. After all, it's 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 at the time running in uh, in uh, China, but let's not get you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Um, uh, we will see you all again soon. Um, and I expect we're going to carry on in this vein. Yes. Cheerio. Cheerio.